ready to dive into God's word today, would you say amen? Luke chapter 11, we're going to start reading in verse number 37. And most of the verses should be on the screen as well today. But Luke chapter 11, verse 37, says this. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet. So here's Jesus around the table. Verse 38, and when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. You fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe... Unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye, ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them." For a few minutes this morning, I'd like to speak to this subject, missing the point, missing the point. Let's have a word of prayer together today. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and Lord, thank you for what you've already done in the first service today, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way in this service. Lord, thank you for all those that are getting baptized now next Sunday, and uh, Lord, we just want to celebrate uh, this new life in Christ. Lord, thank you for the saving work that has been evidenced through that. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word in a powerful way over the next few minutes. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would have a better understanding of this text. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work. Lord, I pray that whatever distraction we might be facing or barrier or trial or struggle today as we walked into the room or tuned into the online service, Lord, I pray that we'd be able to uh, minimize that so that we can maximize your word and that we can leave differently because of it. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning, this week in our household, our family has been watching a little bit of the Little League World Series. Anybody watching the Little League World Series? Anyone interested? Okay, one of you. Very good. Okay, great. And so uh, we've been watching the Little League World Series, and my son Luke, he loves it. He, he, he's playing baseball right now, and so he loves to watch the Little League World Series, and, and he is just tuned in, and he just loves it. I'll tell you who doesn't love it is uh, my daughter Blakely. Uh, my youngest daughter Blakely does not care about baseball. She does not care uh, about uh, the Little League World Series at all. And the other night she was frustrated and she came in because it was on the TV. And she said, "Uh, Dad, do we have to watch the Little League Weird Series? And uh, it wasn't the Little League World Series. She thought it was the Little League Weird Series. And for her, that's just all it was. This is just a weird series. And so uh, I don't think she cared, but I tried to explain to her what it was. No, Blake, this is a baseball game. It's the Little League World Series. And we had a a little misunderstanding that we had to clear up. How many of you in your life have ever had a misunderstanding that you had to clear up? Anybody like that? 
Uh, this morning, when we come to Luke chapter number 11, there is a major misunderstanding that is taking place amongst the Pharisees that Jesus is going to clear up around the table. When Jesus approaches this particular meal this day, uh, there is this misunderstanding that the Pharisees were uh, struggling with and battling with. Uh, see, the Pharisees uh, were very religious. They were experts in the law, and they understood the letter of the law. I mean, make no mistake about it. Uh, these religious leaders, they understood the law. Uh, they understood the letter of the law, but they misunderstood the heart of the law. And so these Pharisees were struggling to really understand the heart uh, of the law. And they knew all the ins and outs of religious deeds and behaviors and activities. And, and they knew all the ins and outs uh, of all of these things. And they even micromanaged these things. But while they micromanaged law, they misunderstood love. And so Jesus, around the table with them this day, is going to clarify and even confront uh, this uh, faulty thinking because uh, this faulty thinking has major disruptive and destructive ramifications that Jesus is going to correct. Uh, I was reading recently one of my uh, favorite uh, teachers to listen to and to read and Bible teachers, and he was talking about uh, when he was... Uh, when he was in Bible college that he had a preaching class and he had to get up in front of his peers and his professor to preach a message. And he said he went and he preached a message and he felt pretty good about it. And uh, he thought that things went pretty well. And, and afterwards, his professor came and just gave him a piece of paper. And he opened up the piece of paper and all it said on that piece of paper was, you missed the point of the passage. And afterwards, he met with his professor and he said, you had some good stories and you had some good applications and you had some good uh, preparation, but that's not what that passage means. And he completely missed the point. And so often in our lives, we can miss the point of what Jesus is trying to communicate and teach to us. This happened all the time with the disciples. Jesus would teach an important principle. He would talk about an important truth, and the disciples would have a misunderstanding, and they wouldn't understand uh, that which Jesus was teaching. This is certainly taking place in our culture today. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there is certainly a misunderstanding as to what the gospel really is and the significance of, of, of who Jesus Christ really is. And there is a misunderstanding that's often taking place. In fact, uh, I, was, uh, I was noticing that there is an acronym that a lot of people will use for the Bible. And uh, Gary Busey, he has this book on this, this uh, of all these acronyms and different things. And, and uh, people will have an acronym that they use for the Bible. And uh, they will refer to the Bible uh, as basic instructions before leaving earth. Uh, anybody ever heard this before? Like when it comes to the Bible, just basic instructions before leaving earth. And I understand the sentiment and uh, it sounds nice. But please hear me today at the 10 o'clock service. That, that if that is all that you believe about the Bible, you are missing the point. Because the Bible is far more than just some simple instructions. Uh, the Bible is far more than just a historical record. Uh, the Bible is far more than just some tips and tricks for better living. Can I remind you today that the Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God? Uh, this is far more than just human instruction. This is divine revelation. And so often we are missing the point of what's taking place spiritually in our lives. And so Jesus is going to come into this meal, and he is going to correct and confront. And one thing that I find so interesting about this passage and about this meal that takes place is Jesus is uh, confrontational. 
Uh, that Jesus is a little bit aggressive here, uh, that Jesus is the one initiating the conversation and leading the conversation to where he wants it to go. Uh, but as, as we unpack this text today, uh, I want us to see how we can make sure that we aren't missing the point. Like, how do we know in our lives that we're not missing the target? How do we know that we're just not going through the motions, but we're missing out on the most important things that Jesus has for us? And so what I want to do as we look to this text today is I want to give us three glaring indications that we might be missing the point. Would that be all right today? Uh, three glaring indications that we might be missing the point. Uh, number one today, if you're taking notes, is this. When you emphasize external over internal. When you emphasize external over internal. Notice what the Bible says, starting in verse number 37. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet. All right, so they gather Around the table, verse number 38. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And so Jesus comes in and he sits down and he reclines as they did in ancient culture for a meal. And he sits down and he does not wash his hands. And because of this, these Pharisees and these experts of the law, they marveled because of this. Uh, they could not believe that Jesus did not wash his hands. Now, this had nothing to do with cleanliness, uh, this had to do with their ceremonies and their rituals, okay? Uh, this was not about hygiene. Uh, this was uh, all about their tradition of the ceremonial washing of the hands. This is something that they took very seriously. In fact, uh, every home would have had a large basin that would have been filled with water for this specific purpose of the uh, ceremony of washing of the hands. And this is what they would do. They had this whole process. How many of you would say uh, that you really take your time and you uh, pride yourself on being a good hand washer? Anybody like that? Okay. Notice all the people that didn't raise their hands. Be, be watching out for them. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, they would really prioritize the washing of their hands. And what they would do is they would uh, start with a, uh, their hands and their fingers pointed upwards in kind of a cupped uh, uh, motion like this. And they would pour the water down their fingers and onto their wrists. And once they did that, then they would reverse it. And they would pour the water down their wrists and down their fingertips. And this is something that they took a long time doing. They made sure everybody saw it. And they did this before every meal. In fact, some of the most strict Pharisees would do this before every course of every meal. And so you can imagine as they're eating, okay, next course, let's go wash our hands again. And next course, let's go wash our hands again. This is something that they took very seriously. And to not do this was a violation of their tradition that was simply not acceptable. In fact, there was a Puritan preacher from the 1600s, and he commentates, and he says this, uh, speaking of this washing. He says, this the Pharisees deemed as great a sin as to commit fornication. And so uh, for them, this was a very big deal to not do the ceremonial washing of the hands. And Jesus came in, and he just went to the table, completely ignoring their tradition. This was their tradition. They loved their tradition. Now, please hear me today. Not all tradition is wrong. Uh, not every tradition is wrong. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, uh, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, in this context, the traditions that he's talking about is the body of doctrinal truth that was passed down from the apostles. And he was saying, make sure that you hold on to this tradition. Uh, but what he's not talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is simply a man-made tradition that we might unintentionally elevate on the same plane as Scripture. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were taking their man-made tradition, and they were elevating it uh, to the point of Scripture, even above Scripture. Now, we have to be very careful in our lives. Everybody with me today? We have to be very careful because we all have preferences. 
We all have our ideas. We all have our opinions. We all have our sacred cows, the things that we really care about, the things that we want to prioritize. But be very careful uh, that you do not take your tradition, that you do not take your preference and elevate it and put it on the same level as the pages of Scripture. Uh, You have to decide, am I going to be a tradition-driven Christian or am I going to be a text-driven Christian? Am am I going to be someone that uh, bases my life and bases my worldview on biblical teaching and not just my personal preference or my uh, personal issue that I want to uh, elevate to uh, the level of Scripture? And so this is what they were upset about. Jesus didn't wash his hands. Notice verse number 39. And the Lord said unto him. Now, uh, this was the first thing that was said at this table, okay? So just kind of imagine you're there and uh, you're around the table with Jesus. Nothing has been said so far in the narrative, okay? Uh, Jesus comes in. He doesn't wash his hands. The Pharisees were very upset. They were marveled. Uh, they were shocked by this. They're just watching. Maybe it was a little awkward. Everyone was kind of wondering what's going to happen. And then Jesus initiates the conversation, okay? Notice how Jesus initiates the conversation in verse 39. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. How's that for a conversation starter, right? Uh, Your inward part on the inside, uh, you are full of ravening. The word carries the idea of plundering. Uh, You are full of plundering and wickedness. This is how Jesus starts the conversation. This is, uh, this is an intense way uh, to begin this conversation. And, and Jesus is, is, is emphasizing and prioritizing the fact that while they were so careful to wash their hands and to cleanse their hands, they weren't careful to cleanse their heart. He, he was saying you are so focused on the outside, you are neglecting the inside. And this is the fundamental characteristic of pharisaical behavior uh, when you are prioritizing and emphasizing the external to the neglect of the internal. This is something that all of us can struggle with. We can all fall prey to the trap of externalism. When we come to church and we know how to dress and we know how to act and we know what to say and we know how to smile and we know how to put on a front to where everything seems A-OK, but how are you doing on the inside? Jesus is saying, you are so careful to wash your hands, but you are not cleansing your heart. Your heart is not right before me. You are prioritizing the external over the internal. Notice what he says in verse 40. He goes on and he says, you fools. Now, to call someone a fool in this culture was not necessarily to insult their intelligence. In fact, the Bible says, you may remember the verse in Psalm 14, verse number 1, that says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And so to call someone a fool was to indicate they actually didn't value the things of God. And so Jesus was not insulting their intelligence. He was questioning their allegiance. You say that you love God. And you say you prioritize the things of God, but internally your heart is far from God. And so Jesus is confronting what is on the inside. And then he goes on in verse number 40. He says, you fools, uh, did, uh, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? Uh, the same God that created the things that are without, the external things, also created uh, the inward things. We were fearfully and wonderfully uh, made. And so G- Jesus was saying that God cares about the inside as well. It would be like just this morning if I had this coffee mug. And let's say this coffee mug was very dirty on the outside. Let's say one of my kids just started coloring all over this on the outside. And uh, as long as the inside was clean, I would probably still drink out of this mug. Now, if my kids went and just poured things into this mug and put dirt in here and all kinds of other things in here, then I probably wouldn't want to drink out of the mug. Why? Because it's what's on the inside that counts. And we are living in a generation that is so consumed about appearances and so consumed with the external. And Jesus is saying, you must prioritize what is on the inside. And so Jesus is is communicating this right off the bat, and he is confronting 
the Pharisees. David said this in Psalm 51, verse number 10. Create in me, in me, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This ought to be the desire and the prayer of each one of our hearts that we are praying that God would renew a right spirit within us. And so prioritizing what's on the inside. Now, notice verse number 41. Let's keep working through the text. Verse 41. But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. Now, this is admittedly a difficult uh, verse to interpret. A lot of people have different ideas on what this means. But I believe that in context here, when he's saying that we should give alms, what he's saying is we should present an offering of our inner person, that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, that we're presenting what's on the inside as an offering, as alms uh, before the Lord, our inner person. In fact, J.C. Ryle puts it this way he, in, in talking about verse number 41. He says, give uh, first the offering of the inward man. Give your heart, your affections, and your will to God, and the first great alms which you bestow. And then all your other actions proceeding from a right heart are an acceptable sacrifice and a clean offering in the sight of God. And so first offer who you really are in your heart before the Lord. And so that's number one. Uh, you might be missing the point if you are prioritizing the external over the internal. Here's the second indication that you might be missing the point when you major on the minor. When you major on the minor. Notice what he says in verse number 42. He says, but woe unto you. Now, to pronounce a woe on someone was to take upon the position and the verbiage of a prophet and to pronounce judgment and condemnation. And so this was very serious. Jesus wasn't playing games. Uh, he was saying, woe unto you. Uh, whenever he would say woe, he was really trying to get people's attention so that they would think, woe. This is serious. And so he says, woe unto you, uh, Pharisees. And he goes on and he says, woe unto you, Pharisees, verse 42, for you tithe mint and rue in all manner of herbs and pass over, you overlook judgment and the love of God. These ye to, uh, these ought uh, ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Now, here's what's taking place here. In the Old Testament law, uh, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, were required, they were expected to give 10% uh, of all of their produce and all of their income. This was called the tithe. Uh, the tithe simply means tenth, and it was expected that they would give uh, a 10% uh, back to the Lord. Now, if you really study the doctrine of the tithe in the Old Testament, a lot of times they were giving far more than 10%. Uh, they were giving upwards of 20, 23% of all of their produce and all of their income uh, back to the Lord. Well, here in the New Testament, the Pharisees, these religious experts and leaders, uh, they were taking this principle of the tithe, and they were elevating it and doing way more than what was expected or required. And Jesus was saying, you are tithing even of the mint and the rue and of the herbs. In other words, uh, these were the smallest of things. These were the spices in the garden. These were the, uh, the herbs, the little things. And the Pharisees were taking those things, and they were measuring out meticulously and, and fastidiously. They were, they were measuring uh, the smallest of items so that they could make sure that they are tithing and, uh, and uh, giving of the smallest of things. Uh, it would be like today if you walked outside and you found a dime uh, just on the sidewalk and I came up to you and said, hey, make sure that next Sunday you bring a penny to tithe off that dime that you found uh, to the Lord. Uh, this is how meticulous uh, they were being and they were focusing on the smallest of things. And so Jesus was saying, you are doing, uh, uh, you are, uh, doing these uh, uh, minor things. You're majoring on these minor things. But notice what he says in verse 42, right in the middle. And pass over judgment and the love of God. While you are meticulously organizing your spice cabinet, 
and making sure that you are tithing on every little thing uh, so that you can elevate yourself even above and beyond the law, you are passing over and you are missing on the most important things. You are missing out on the justice of God. You are missing out and overlooking on the love of God. You are majoring on the minor. This is something that they knew about because the prophet Micah said in Micah chapter 6, verse number 8, and he hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. Uh, This is what God expects of us, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly uh, before thy God. And so Jesus was saying this, you're missing the point. You're majoring on the minor. Now, that does not mean that the minor things are not important, as we'll see in just a moment. But Jesus is saying you are majoring on the minor. And so often in our lives, we can do this. We can major on the minor. Have you noticed that often we can be the loudest where the Bible is most silent? We want to talk so much about the things that really matter to us and our preferences and our ideals and, and uh, what's really on our minds. And often we are loudest where the Bible is silent and we can major on the minor. In fact, in, in the parallel passage of this, uh, is everybody still with me so far this morning? In, in the parallel passage of this, Jesus, uh, around the same table in Matthew chapter 23, verse number 24, he says this, You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, there, there, was a reason Jesus, uh, there was a reason Jesus gave this as an example. Uh, a gnat and a camel were both considered unclean creatures that a Jew would not want to touch. If he touched them, he would be deemed unclean, and he'd have to go through a cleansing process, and he'd have to go into isolation. And so they tried very hard to make sure that they did not come into contact with a gnat or a camel. In fact, so much so that they would take a filter and a strain, and they would strain their water and filter their water just so that they didn't unintentionally swallow a gnat. And Jesus is saying, while you are so careful to make sure that you are not swallowing a gnat, uh, he's using figurative language. And he says, meanwhile, you're swallowing a camel. You are majoring on the minor. Uh, You are so focused on the externals and you are so focused on all of these things that you are missing out on what matters most. uh, The love of God and the justice of God. And so Jesus is is pointing out uh, this majoring on the minor. Now, uh, I believe that this is so important. Because this is a picture of empty and vain religion. When we are so busy focusing on the externals and we are so focused on all the things that we have to do, this is a picture of empty religion. Tell me the rules. How do I measure up? How do I clean up? Uh, how, uh, how, how am I supposed to uh, uh, live right? Give me, give me all of these details. Uh, now, in Romans chapter 10, verse number 1, Paul explains this and he says this. Brethren, uh, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is this. That they might be saved. How many of you would say this was a great uh, prayer request that was on the Apostle Paul's heart? That, that he wanted to see people saved. He had a burden and a passion for people. But then he says this. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. Zeal of God. But not according to knowledge. Please don't miss this. He says they have a zeal and a passion. But not according to knowledge. So, so many people are trying so hard. So many people are very sincere. They, they have a good uh, heart, so to speak. They're, they're, they're very sincere, uh, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and here's the phrase that I want to zero in on, and going about to establish their own righteousness. This is what so many people, millions of people, are caught up in religious, empty, vain religion and activity where they are going about trying to establish their own righteousness. I want to measure up. I want to be a good person. I want to do as much as I possibly can. I I want to establish the fact that I am righteous. Meanwhile, they are overlooking the righteousness of God. 
Because he goes on and he says, and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And, and this today is the message uh, to a world that is trapped in rules and religion. That we are not saved by our own righteousness. That we are not saved by our own good works. That we are not saved by uh, what we bring to the table. We are not saved by tithing. We are not saved by these external activities. Aren't you thankful that we are saved by the grace of God? This is the message that we have to share to a world that is stuck in rules and religion. It's not about our righteousness. It's about the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. That at the moment of salvation, the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you were justified. That word justified means you were declared righteous. And so it's not our own righteousness that we bring to the table. It's the righteousness of God that has been placed on our account. This was the point. This is what the Pharisees were missing out on. Notice verse number 42. He says, but woe unto you Pharisees, for you tie the mint and rue and all matters of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. But then watch this phrase. He clarifies, and he says, these ought ye to have done. These are good things. And so don't think, oh, the point of this is that we don't have to do anything, and we don't have to, uh, we don't have to tithe. We don't have to do these things. He says, these things ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. And so Jesus is not abolishing the tithe. In fact, he's advocating for it here. He says it's a good thing to do. Uh, but you cannot neglect the weightier matters. You cannot major on the minor. Now, this is going to lead us to our third thought today. Here's the third indication that you might be missing the point when you value reputation over character. So number one, when you emphasize external over internal. Number two, when you major on the minor. But number three, when you value reputation over character. Notice verse number 43. It says this. Woe unto you Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Now, uh, this makes sense to us. We can kind of picture it. The Pharisees, they just love the uppermost seats. Uh, they love being greeted in the marketplace. If you were to walk into a first century synagogue, uh, it would be set up a little bit differently than we have it set up in here today. It would be kind of more of a circular fashion. There would be seats over here and, and, and over this way. And the uppermost seats where the rabbis would sit were always up front, and they were facing back toward the congregation. And so if we were to have a synagogue-style setup today, and we were to have the uppermost seats of the synagogue, we'd have a row up here, and they'd be looking back towards the congregation. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you love those seats. You love those seats of prominence and position and power. And you love it. greetings in the marketplace. You love it when you're walking in the marketplace and someone recognizes you. Oh, hey, Rabbi so-and-so, it's so good to see you. That, you just get so puffed up, it makes you feel so good. Uh, you love those seats. You love those greetings. Why? It was all about them. There's this verse in the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts, uh, talking about the early church and how the church of Antioch was started. And if you're a little hazy on the church of Antioch, this was perhaps the most influential church in history because it was at the church of Antioch where they first reached out and preached to the Gentiles. And uh, it was at the church of Antioch where they were first called Christians. Uh, we have the term Christian because of the church of Antioch. It just meant little Christ. They were, they were imitators of Christ. And so this was a very significant, very prominent church. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 11, verse 20, uh, who started the church of Antioch? Uh, notice the people that started the church of Antioch. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so what we see is that the people that started and planted the church of Antioch were just men of Cyprus and Cyrene. They were completely unnamed. We don't know their names. And I find that fascinating because if you remember who wrote the book of Acts was Luke. 
Luke was a detailed historian. Uh, Luke was an investigator. Uh, Luke knew where they were from. If he wanted to, he could have investigated. He could have included their names. In fact, many people think that Luke was originally from Antioch. But Luke here decides not to include their names because they recognize something in the early church. And what they realized in the early church is recognition is not the goal. It's not about our names. It's not about our ideas. It's not about our preferences. It's not about making our name famous. But it is all about the one name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. And so they recognize it's not about us. It's not about our name in lights. It is all about the name of Jesus. It's not about recognition. It's not about just uh, what other people think about us. And this is a sure sign that you are missing the point when you care more about your reputation than you do your character. Because your reputation is what people perceive and think about you, but your character is what God knows to be true about you. And a lot of times we are more focused on our reputation and how many likes we get and how much affirmation we get and what people think about us and how people perceive us rather than focusing on the inward heart of the man and rather than focusing on the character that God wants to develop within us. Recognition is not the goal. Luke chapter 14 verse number 11 says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. They will be brought low. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so... It's not about who we are. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a very me-centric culture. Have you noticed this? That it's all about us, right? I was reading this, uh, this uh, Washington Examiner, this article by the columnist. His name was uh, Dominic Green, and he wrote kind of a, in satire and jest, and he was talking about uh, his preferred pronouns. And he said, my preferred pronouns are me, me, and me. And that is indicative of society today. It's me. It's all about me. It's my truth. It's my desires. It's my feelings. It's all about me. But John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. We have to recognize it's actually not really about us. But it is all about Jesus. He deserves the glory. By the way, that's why we were created, to give him glory. Be very careful that you don't start taking the glory that belongs to the Lord. Read Acts chapter 12 and find out, find out what happens when you start to receive glory and praise that belongs to the Lord. It doesn't end well. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 7, For who maketh thee to differ from one another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? That's a great question. Think about it. What do you have that you didn't receive? See, a lot of times we think, well, I did that. I earned this. It was my work ethic that brought this. No, it was God that instilled the work ethic within you. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. What do you have that you didn't receive? So often we are proud to think that we achieved and we don't realize that we received. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, then why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Why are you glorying in something that God blessed you with? He deserves the glory from it. And so it's not about our recognition and getting attention for ourselves, but it is about reflecting the glory back to the one that deserves it, Jesus. He's at the center of what we do. Now, notice verse number 44 as we continue on. This is all taking place around the table. This would have been a very interesting meal. Would you agree? Verse 44. He says another woe. This is the third time at the meal. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. The word hypocrite means stage actor. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were acting. They were performing. They were just putting on a show. This wasn't real. This wasn't authentic. This was just, let's, let's get more attention from this. And let's just put on this facade for everyone to see and think how great we are. And it'll make us feel better uh, than everyone else that's watching us. And he says, you're hypocrites. You're just acting. Verse 44. 
Then he says this, for you are as graves which appear not. Now, what does that mean? You are as graves that appear not. Now, uh, to, to understand this, it's helpful to have an idea of first century uh, thinking, and especially in Judaism and Jewish culture, you would never want to come in contact with a grave or a gravestone. If you accidentally touched a grave or a gravestone in a cemetery, then you would be deemed instantly unclean. And again, there would be separation and isolation. It would be a pain in the neck. And so they tried their absolute best to avoid unintentionally stepping on a gravestone. Even if it was an accident, nope, you were unclean and you had to go into isolation. And so what they would do is they would paint all of the gravestones white. They would make sure that you could see them from a far away place, that, that when you were walking by, that gravestone would be white so that you were not uh, defiled by touching it. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are like unmarked graves. Notice what he says. You are like unmarked graves which appear not, and, all, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. You think you're helping people, but you are actually contaminating people. You think you're helping people by looking so religious and being filled with, with, with all of that pride, but you are actually defiling everyone around you and they don't even know it. See what happens when we are filled with pride and hypocrisy. Never underestimate the influence of your hypocrisy. Where there is hypocrisy, there will always be collateral damage. And, and he says, you are walking with pride and you are hurting everyone else. around. You are like an unmarked grave. And this would have stung uh, deep to the Pharisees that prided themselves in avoiding such things. Jesus is saying, you're walking with pride, you're walking with hypocrisy. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse number 18, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Uh, this ought to be the prayer and the desire of our hearts today. I don't want to just put on a facade. I don't want to be a stage actor. I want to be authentic before God and before man. I want to do all things and live honestly. Now, there is a break in the conversation here. I don't know if Jesus paused or if he was interrupted. But there's a break in the conversation, and I want to read uh, one last verse today uh, from the text. It says this in verse 45. Then answered one of the lawyers. So uh, someone decides to speak up. Now, if I'm at the table that day and Jesus just said all that, I'm probably not going to be the first one to speak up, right? But somebody had to do it. This guy did it. Uh, answered one of the lawyers and said to him, Master, thus saying thou reproachest us also. In other words, uh, the word reproach carries the idea of offense. In other words, Jesus, what you're saying is offensive. <laughs> Somebody says, I have something to say. I'm offended personally by what you just said. And I think this is humorous and indicative of our culture today because have you noticed how easily offended we are? Anytime there's the slightest hint of truth, oh my goodness, I'm offended. And here this person raises his hand. Excuse me, yes, yes, I have a response from all that. I am offended. I want you to know today in a culture of offense that not all offense is bad. In fact, we understand that the cross on which Jesus Christ was crucified, that was offensive. The offense of the cross. You want to talk about offense? An innocent man being nailed to a tree by his hands and his feet, a crown of thorns being placed on his head, being whipped relentlessly over and over, spat upon, mocked, beaten. Talk about offense. But aren't you thankful it was the offense of the cross that opened the door for our salvation? And so we have to recognize today that it was the offense of the cross that enables us to be saved and have the forgiveness of our sins. This is why the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but to us it is the power of God unto salvation. 
The world might not understand the cross, but we recognize today, were it not for the cross. I'm so thankful today that Jesus Christ lived a perfectly sinless life and he went to the cross to die in your place and to die in my place. And three days later, he rose again. And he is alive and well today. And so, no, it's not about our righteousness. It's not about what we bring to the table. But it is about his righteousness that can be placed on our account. And I want to close by reading in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that says this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, Matt, why are we closing with this verse? Because this is the point. This is what we cannot afford to miss. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so today, if you are in the room or maybe you're watching online, and you are unsure about your eternal standing, your eternal destiny, do you have a home in heaven when you die? The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, then we will be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's not about our righteousness. It's not about measuring the 10% of the spices. And it's not about the external behavior. It's about giving your heart to the Lord and surrendering over to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.